When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. You know what, Ben? For a relatively low-profile fight night event, we crammed an awful lot of living into this Saturday night event from the Enterprise Nevada Apex, UFC Apex. They say it's in Enterprise Nevada, but I guess right in the middle of Las Vegas, right? It's like right out there by the UFC headquarters. Yeah, I mean, we can make up all the fake names for Las Vegas area stuff we want to. We know what we're talking about. We know we know the place that we're dealing with. You know, if I, let me tell you this. You get to know somebody and you're like... Where do you live? And they say Enterprise, Nevada. And then you ask a little more questions and you find out it's basically Las Vegas. You're going to be pissed off at that person for wasting your time. Yeah. Enterprise, Nevada. That's not a thing. Anyway, Maria Bueno Silva taps out Holly Holm in the main event. She becomes, you'd think, a contender for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. Hot prospect Jack Della Maddalena gets an unexpected test from late replacement Basil Hafez. Uh, you had some spinning elbow TKO knockouts. You know what? We're going to get more into this in listener mail, but it was a big night for dancing. You had some different dances on display from some different fighters. You had Chelsea Chandler turning her back and running away from uh, Norma Dumont. I wanted to start here, though, before we get into the, the particulars here. It's been a while since we have seen a freak injury in this sport like the one Estela Nunez suffered against Victoria Dudakova in their women's strawweight preliminary fight. Shades of Mark Coleman mm-hmm. back in pride against Shogun Hua getting his elbow dislocated on a takedown. That's pretty much what happened here. And that thing was busted. We got to see some, uh, some x-rays after the fact. And that is a busted-ass elbow, my friend. Yes, it sure is. And you know, you got to think, right? Like, you're preparing for a fight in a cage in your quiet personal moments as you're drifting off to sleep, maybe. I'm sure you go through a lot of different possibilities, good and bad, of what can happen there. I'm sure there's a lot of time to think about all the varying ways this can go. I feel like this is one that you probably never even consider. Yeah. And then when you when you look down and you see that it's happened to you, got to be a a bad bad moment. I mean, considering 
the punishment, the physical toll that this sport takes on fighters night in and night out, basically. You're you're going out there, even if you're planning on winning. You know what they say, you jump in the water, you're going to get wet. You're planning on getting hit a few times. You're planning on taking some damage. So when you see a fight end like this and the fighter is laying on the canvas screaming and whimpering, that's when you're like, okay, so that hurt. That's a thing that hurts Mm -hmm. because we don't see that almost ever in this sport. And we see some bad shit happen to people frequently. And you rarely elicit this response. That's how you know this was a bad one. Yeah. And that is, you you put it a a good point out there because when you're dealing with professional tough people, people who just get there to where you were watching them on TV, they've been through some stuff. You know, whether it's in the gym or previously in their career. And if they think it hurts, like these are people who part of their job requires them to keep a great poker face when they clash shins with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I bang my shin on the coffee table. You're going to know about it. If you're walking by the house, you're going to know about it. If I got the windows open and you're across the street, you're going to know about it. You're going to hear what I have to say about that. They they can do with that, and then something like this happens, and you you hear the very visceral, audible sound from that coming out. You know that's bad. That shit bad, man. Yeah. And if you're a UFC in cage interviewer, you know when you're drifting off to sleep, do you think I better prepare myself in case a fighter shakes her butt right next to me <laughs> this weekend after it's over? We'll talk about it in a minute. Remember. You're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries. But that's not all. If you like what you hear on the free show, you can find Ben Folks and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event and get loads, absolute loads of extra content and video content and audio content access to the free CME official discord message board. Once you get in the door, the coolest people in MMA are constantly over there chatting it up where the only rule is no assholes. We've got seven day free trial memberships that you can sign up for, for free at our $5 level. If you've been wondering what the Patreon is all about, but you're not sure how it works or what it is, or if you would like it, you can check it out now for seven days for free. And look, guys, we can only keep making the show with the support of listeners like you. Come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Again, patreon.com slash co-main event. You can also scoop up some dope co-main event podcast merchandise. Just head over to our brand new merch shop where you can find old favorites like the original Dandasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt, and you can find new favorites like the Bobby Nux t-shirt, the hottest seller on the market. We got Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts over there. We got MMA Gods shirts over there. And Ben, folks, we got a brand new one. Oh, yeah. Hot shit just dropped over at the Co-Main Event Podcast shop. Tell the kids, the kids who might want to support the man from the land down under tell him what we got over there well chad i'm gonna tell it to him like this what you gonna do when volcomania runs wild on you yeah yeah what are you gonna do that's a great question i'm looking at it right now you could head over to the shop and check it out it's just a 
fetching yellow t-shirt with the red letters you might recognize. You might recognize the logo. It says Volcamania across the front of the shirt. We're already selling them. They're already flying off the racks. You know who knocked it out of the park on this one is our guy, Johnny Ashcroft. We partner with him on all the CME's merchandise. He runs Studio Superconductor, a brand and design studio in Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. Johnny is the kind of guy where we can just be like, hey, man, we want a Volcomania shirt. And like two hours later, he's like, here it is. Here's the Volcomania shirt. Boom. It's live up on the shop. Yeah. Just a real pro. A pro's yeah. pro. Yeah. I we should point out, just like the Bobby Nuck shirt, we've reached out to Alexander Volkanovsky's people. who are like, hey, man, come get some of this money. Come get a share of this money. So hopefully we'll be able to, to ship some of these ducats that we're going to make off the Volkomania shirt over to Alexander Volkanovsky himself. Offered him the same deal we offered Bobby Knuckles. We got music this week from old school CME fan Kyle Kelly Yoner, who also happens to be a drummer of tremendous skill. He's got a solo project out. It's an EP of instrumental tracks. It's mostly drums and synth, and I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out the rest of the EP over at his website, kyleky.com. Or follow him at Kyle KY Drums on Instagram. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, baby, he done it. Francis Ngano rolls a Yahtzee, wins the whole fucking game. And in round number two, Tom Aspinall back as the UFC sort of quietly heads to London for what looks like a pretty good card. And in round number three, Holly Holmes gets submitted for the first time in a long time, and flat-nosed Jackie survives a scare. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week, Ben, comes to us from Jaeger Meister. Okay. First and last name. I guess it doesn't have the umlaut, so it could be Jaeger Meister. Been a while since I've heard from Jager Meister. Uh, yeah. Back in college, from what I recall. <laughs> yeah. Dare I say I haven't heard from Jager Meister since a, a dark Saturday night, middle of winter, senior year of college. That's the last time I think I spoke with Jager Meister. And things did not go great. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Things did not go great for either of us. Jager Meister writes, boys... The Achilles and the ACL are probably the worst injuries for an athlete. We probably won't see Jamal Hill for a year, and you know the UFC will completely leave him behind in the interim, no pun intended. My question is, will Hill go down as the least known light heavyweight champion of all time? Ben, this was a tough one. Jamal Hill blows his Achilles out during a basketball game over... uh, international fight week weekend he suffers this injury uh this guy only won the vacant title at ufc 283 in january with his win over glover Teixeira. uh hasn't defended it even a single time and here he is having to vacate it well after this injury over the weekend rough rough stuff for jamal hill number one we want to say but also rough times for the light heavyweight division let's be honest yeah yeah, not great there. Uh, 
just because it seems like minute we get excited about a guy, that guy is sidelined with the worst injury in the history of some kind of injuries. And, you know, we're not even talking about just like broken hands, you know, uh, twisted up knees, stuff that we're used to. We're talking about some bad ones, bad ones that are going to keep you out of there. And shit, as we've mentioned before, it's already hard to get fans to know your name and remember your name. You'd think you solve that problem a little bit when you become UFC champ, but if you don't even get to defend it and you're going to be out a while, maybe you don't. Um, as far as least known light heavyweight champion of all time, the, the book's not closed, you know? I mean, to date, let's say. I mean, it's not closed on Jamal Hill. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You come back and and uh, and reclaim the title? Yeah, I, I just because, you know, he's he's... A young guy for the division, especially that he might be back in there. Who knows what we end up saying about him? Like there was a time where it seemed like Frank Mir was going to be uh, just completely forgotten in heavyweight title lore, heavyweight title history. But you know, he he came back, and uh, you don't know where it's going to go from here. If you're going to talk about though, like least known uh, UFC champions or most easily forgotten UFC champions, we must throw Jermaine Durandamy's name in that conversation, right? <laughs> That's one. That's hard to beat, I think. Well, just uh, restricted to the light heavyweight division here, I got to say, the least known UFC light heavyweight champions are the last four. <laughs> the title has changed hands four times since John Jones vacated the belt on in August of 2020. You had Jan Blahovich. He lost to Glover Tashira. You had Glover lose to Yuri Prohaska. Prohaska has to vacate the belt after a severe shoulder injury. Bla- Jan Blahovich and uh, Magomed Ankalaev fought to a draw for the title in December of 2022. Then you had Jamal Hill beat Glover Tashira to win the title. That that's that's 174 days ago that that happened, and now Hill has vacated the title after suffering the torn Achilles. So basically, we've got a end of Chuck Liddell's reign kind of hot potato situation with the light heavyweight title uh, where everyone gets to take it home for a night and have it at the dinner table. And then they got to give it to somebody else the next day. I got to say, though, uh, before Jones vacates and you get into this Yanni Blackjack, Clover Tashira, Yuri Prohaska, Jamal Hill situation, most of the rest of the light heavyweight champions are among the greats yeah. of the sport, right? Uh, you got, obviously, Frank Shamrock, Tito Ortiz, Randy Couture, Vitor Belfort, Chuck Liddell, Rampage Jackson, Forrest Griffin, Rashad Evans, Leota Machida, uh, Shogun Hua, and, of course, John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Now, if you're going to nitpick with that list, probably Forrest Griffin. Forrest Griffin might be the least heralded UFC light heavyweight champion, maybe Rashad Evans. But, I mean, those guys... Those guys are are giants compared to these guys that we've seen just recently. Now, as you said, the book's not closed. We got to wait for these guys who are competing today to finish up their entire work, their entire careers. But a bit of a non nondescript, low profile time right now in a division that historically has been the marquee slot for the UFC. Yeah, I do think you got to really appreciate the awesomeness here when you look at the list of champions laid out here on the Wikipedia table that they have and it 
tells a story recently where it's like, you know, Hill vacated the belt after suffering an Achilles tendon rupture. Prohaska vacated the belt after suffering a severe shoulder injury. You know, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then you can scroll up there and see the various reasons John Jones was stripped of titles. Uh, and then you get all the way up there to the top, the very first one with Frank Shamrock, and it just notes Shamrock vacated the title on November 24th, 1999, when he retired from the UFC, citing a lack of competition. Now that's how you stand out in a field yeah. of weirds mobiles. That's how you stand out. Yeah, uh, that's that's it. I remember that one. That was uh, that was kind of funny too, because as soon as he left, it's when it seemed like light heavyweight really got competitive. So the story was, he was told a... was that he engraved his initials on the belt and then gave it back to them and told them to call him when they had someone who could beat him. I mean, I like it. It's ostentatious. I it like is. it. It is that. Now, what we're going to do with the light heavyweight title still remains a bit of a mystery here. You have Jan Blahovich against the former middleweight champion Alex Pereira who is moving up to 205 that one is going down at UFC 291 later this month that one's on July 29th now there was some controversy over the weekend the UFC I think uh sent out an email to uh bar owners and managers which is you know they're trying to sell this thing uh It says, boost business and expand your customer base, host the event at your bar and attract fans who are more likely to order drinks, food, and visit during non-event nights. With two title fights, the fan demand is ramping up. Now, they include Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje for the BMF title as one of the title fights, which, okay, I mean, stretching it, stretching it a little bit there. But then they also, in the email, include... Yanni Blackjacks against Alex Pereira as a title fight. Now, the UFC has responded and says it was just a typo. Yeah. Just a typo in the email. So they're saying that one's still a three-rounder, a non-title fight. Honestly, I kind of think, think think the best thing you could do would be to put the title on the line for that one. Just get a champ. Get a champ. Put a belt on one of these two guys, and then we can move forward. Yeah, it seems like they are kind of being uncharacteristically slow to do that because normally that's the whole reason that you have some guy vacate the title so you can take it turn around put it on somebody else and get that gold on the poster yeah this seems like a normal the ufc mo typically is never shy to just call something a title fight when there's an opportunity to as evidenced by Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje exactly normally normally they would put a title on the line just without telling anybody They'd just be like, yeah, Yanni Blackjacks and Alex Pereira is a five-round title fight now. Those guys will find out whenever we get around to telling them. Well, we we told bar owners and managers. (laughs) Next question this week comes to us from Buku Kamas, who I believe is an Australian rules football player. Of course. According according to the Google. He writes, subject line, daddest fight ever. And he writes, so the daddest fight ever just happened between Albert Duryev and uh, Yung Yong Park, not just because of Park's amazing post-fight dance, but also because of the Unreal t-shirt Tan Duryev was sporting. My question is just how faithful a reenactment was Park's dance to Ben Folks at Chad's wife's birthday party when this is how we do it, <laughs> hit the Bluetooth speakers. Uh, like I said, big night for dancing on Saturday night. I guess we will talk about Park Yung Jong first. Uh, he 
just absolutely trucks Duryev with a punch uh, in the second round of this thing. Follows him down, flirts with a couple of rear naked choke attempts before he finally gets one and, and solicits the tap four minutes and 45 seconds into the second round. Uh, then he does this dance. And the look on his face as he's doing the dance is very dad. Because he is making a face like, I know I can't dance, but I'm dancing anyway. That's the 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 general vibe of the Iron Turtles dance here. And I gotta say, I love everything about it. All it was missing was somebody going, this is how we do it. <laughs> Boom, then the beat drops and everybody in the room is feeling it at that point. Um, first of all, about Jun Young Park, I want to point out a tweet from the big homie, Kevin Sesha. Big friend of the podcast, hilarious guy out there flexing these these writing muscles now that he's on strike with the Writers Guild. Uh, he tweeted, I believe, on Saturday night as the fights are going on, Jung Young Park's nickname, the Iron Turtle, is great because turtles are already known for being durable and hard to hurt. But then it's like, guess what the turtle's made of? <laughs> I mean, I personally think it's on the short list for best nicknames in the UFC right now. Yeah, and it falls in line with a lot of what we've been saying about how to make a good nickname because if his nickname was just the turtle that would already be pretty good because it'd at least be pretty distinctive not a whole lot of turtles out there in the nickname game uh it's not like the spartan or the pit bull where there's tons of them already the turtle would be pretty good but you're right anytime you add specificity like that to a nickname you make it like 150 percent better instantly yeah yeah i mean do you think you're sitting around in camp trying to figure out which adjective which descriptor to add to the turtle it's like let's see velcro turtle no that doesn't sound that tough could it be uh could i be the rawhide turtle like that's a little better it's a little got a little cowboy type ring to it but you know what i don't think you get much better than than iron turtle yeah unless someone's gonna roll up in here and be like titanium turtle what yeah titanium turtle you get into a whole alliterative situation but it does get a little gets to be a mouthful yeah, titanium turtle is a bit of a tongue twister. Um, titanium turtle. As titanium for turtle. Albert Duryev and his t-shirt tan, I'll say this for my man Albert Duryev. You go out there with the the Dagestani Abe Lincoln beard and the t-shirt tan. This, Jed Dundas, this is a man who does not give a damn about the female gaze. And I respect it. He <laughs> is not out here being like, let me look cool for the chicks who might be watching. Nope. Mm-mm. Not concerned about it at all. Strictly business. I, look, man, I'm not going to sit here and look askance at another man's farmer's tan. You know, that would be hypocritical <laughs> frankly, of me to do that because I'm out at the water park. When I pop the top, brother, uh, the arms are red and the chest is, is, is glaring white. There's, there's, a, there's yeah. a contrast. There's a notable contrast. And you know what? This summer, I was like, "Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get tan this summer. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go even tan when when I'm out here at the water park. The you, municipal water park. You lie to yourself park. that way. Yeah. Now the female gaze is gonna be landing on me at the municipal water park. Uh, and then I go out there. I give it a shot one day. Now you know what I have? I have the blotchiest, weirdest sunburn all mm-hmm. over my body. One of my arms is just beet red, and the rest of me is still as white as before. I don't know why you do that to yourself. Why Why you even tell yourself that this is going to be the summer you get? You never had a tan the entire time I've known you. Well, it's a first time for everything, brother. 
Ah, as soon as I start rubbing my bronzer on, hitting the uh, hitting the tanning booth, I'll be out here looking as orange and leathery as Hulk Hogan in no time. Maybe next summer. I'm not going to let us get out of here talking dances without also shouting out Aline Perez in her fight. She beats Ashley Evans Smith. And you know what? This is her thing now. She's the UFC twerk girl. That's what she does. She's been twerking the whole time she's been in the UFC, twerking at the weigh-ins, twerking after the the fight is over, making Daniel Cormier forget his lines, making the the <laughs> Portuguese translator guy forget what job he's doing. Just shaking her butt is basically what she's doing all over the place. And I guess in a world where the UFC fighter will try absolutely anything to be remembered because mm-hmm. you got 500 fighters on the roster and the UFC for the most part is going to treat you like interchangeable cogs in the machine. Anything you can do to stand out is good. And UFC twerk girl... It's better than being UFC dislocated my elbow in a fight on a takedown, girl. I'll it say is, that. It is for a fact. Um, shouts out to the cameraman on this one because she, <laughs> when she goes into the twerk, she drops it low. And you can feel he has to adjust where he's like, I got to take a step back. But also, like, she put him in a situation where she really gave him no choice. He can't just keep pointing that camera straight and till we get, like, her head and upper shoulders in the frame and nothing else. We all know what she's doing. He's got to be like, well, here's where I point the camera at a woman's ass uh, during a live broadcast and hope I don't get in trouble for it. Because obviously that's, that's where the action is right now. That's where that's, that's the, the point of focus that she's trying to direct our attention to. I got to just go along with it. Yeah. And, and he does, you know, he's a, he's a professional. Yeah, he goes with I mean, that's a seasoned I, pro. Is it going to become a thing? If you become known enough as the person who twerks when she wins, is it going to be like, remember how in PFL, especially uh, back then it was WSOF, when Justin Gates, you won, people started to learn that you needed to kind of clear a landing zone because he was going <laughs> to climb up on the cage and backflip off of it. And there were several times where athletic commission officials or camera people, whoever, were just kind of accidentally almost in the way. And it's like he was not paying any attention to whether you guys are ready for him to do it. He was going to do it as soon as he won, get up there, backflip off. It was up to you to get out of the way. And here where it's like if you're the referee, you're standing there holding up her hand and you know she's immediately going to turn around and go into that twerk and you're like, let me get out this frame. Real quick, yeah. just so I don't end yeah. up in the memes. So I'm not on a, a gift somewhere when, while my wife is asking me to explain this. Like, let me just back up out of there. If you're holding the steady cam in the octagon after the fights, you're a seasoned professional. You've, you've been, seen you've some been stuff. around the block yeah. a few times. It's not your first rodeo. You know what to do. And, you know, the guys in the truck aren't going to smash cut to a random crowd shot like they do sometimes <laughs> when there's something that they actually don't want to show us. So everybody knows what's up. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Charles Oliveira's one trick pony hairstylist. Okay. Okay. So he writes, so maybe brainwashing the king of Morocco and using his cash to fund your playboy lifestyle all over the world isn't the best way to get ready for an MMA fight. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Now, okay. Yeah, I get it. It's funny. It's a joke. Otman Izatar does, in fact, go out there and get beat by Francisco Prado. First round TKO via punches. This is the one where I believe Prado uh, smoked him with a couple of spinning back elbows. Like, not one, but two. And the second one, 
kind of put him down and then we end up finishing the fight. Now, Azatar, uh, he might've passed the what the fuck test here because he was, he was talking about a late stoppage. He did take some hellacious ground strikes while he was down there. So I don't necessarily think it was a bad stoppage, but he was pretty much all up in the referee's face saying what the fuck after the stoppage. I mean, I agree with the premise. No, taking over the Royal court of Morocco and then <laughs> traveling the world. I think it's the prince, right? Or is it, is it the prince or the king of Morocco? Is it the king, full-on king of Morocco that the Azatar brothers have essentially uh, become the, the handlers of? Yes, I think it's I believe, the king. It's I, the I believe king. it is okay. the king, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's probably a not, not a great way. It makes me wonder if you're in the gym every day. Right, especially because... But he, the- didn't, he didn't look terrible, is what I'm saying. He didn't go out there and like you know, look like a guy who's who's out of shape and came from the bar stool to the cage stool like Tank Abbott used to do. Like, he looked like he belonged until he got absolutely smashed in the side of the head by a spinning back elbow. It did make me wonder. We talked about this a little bit when we were making our bets on $20 whenever I want to see again, as the uh, loyal Patreon uh, supporters will know on Friday's show. And I considered betting against him just because I felt like Everything about that story emphasized that not only had the Azatir brothers sort of become the king's right-hand man, men, right-hand men, but the thing that they were doing with that was mainly partying. It was not like, let's whisper in his ear about policy changes we would like to see in Morocco. It was, let's fucking chill at the club in the VIP and take private planes everywhere. So... That made it seem like, I don't know if you, I, that's good work. If you could get it, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here talking to your dumb ass right now. <laughs> I could be fucking in the King of Morocco's fucking private blimp flying over an F1 race in Milan right now. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up. Maybe hard to, to get up and hit the gym when you got all that going on. Um, yeah, it, it does seem though, like. What's the conversation like when you come back to the royal court? And he just does the king have to put a limit on how much that shit was stopped too early? I got screwed. Talk he is willing to listen to. Are oh, there are a bunch of advisors right now being like, no, don't go in there right now. Uh, one of the Azatir bros is going off about that ref again. Just come back after lunch. You don't. You don't want to get into that. Good, good showing from Francisco Prado, though. Let's just say I think he's 21 years old, right? Young prospect gets this win. Good showing by him. All right. Last question this week comes to us from Canadian Bacon. Okay. He writes, how does Bruce Buffer not know what the hell undisputed means? For any for every unification fight he announces, the champion, as he did last night, as or UFC 290, I believe, as the undisputed champion, Given he announces it as a unification fight in insert division each time, you would figure he understands the words he is using, but I guess not. Uh, hoping you two fine gentlemen like yourselves can know their way, who know their way around a definition or two can provide some clarification. Is this some new U.S. way of using it that we up north are not hip to? Uh, no, uh, no, we're just going to go ahead and call it undisputed. This is probably a UFC thing, right? Or it's just an oversight. Buffer's got so many fucking fights to announce. He's just not thinking about it. Uh, These words don't mean anything. (laughs) I don't know what you expect. Listen, when a guy who has bronzed himself to the color of rich leather 
Yeah, gonna be that's what I'm gonna be looking like next summer. Wearing a tuxedo that looks like a fucking magic eye painting. Gets up wearing a pinky ring and looking at note cards and screams words into a microphone. He's not doing it because he wants you to parse out the exact dictionary definition of all those words to see if they match up. He's just trying to get you excited. He's not worried too much about whether these words mean the things that he is acting like they mean. No, it's always undisputed greatest ever. Like, uh, you know, the millions watching around the world. You know? Like, we're just saying stuff into a microphone at high volume. And, honestly, at this point, Buffer's been doing it for so long, he he might not even know when he's doing it. He's just on autopilot out there. You know? You wake that guy from a nap too suddenly, he's going to shoot up from the couch talking about undisputed, undefeated, just shouting out words. Can I share with you this quote from Bruce Buffer's Twitter? Always, Chad. Always. <laughs> Our guy Patrick Milder sent this to me on Instagram. Noted patron of the show, uh, Patrick. He sent me this. This is from Buffer's Twitter. This is his quote. When I'm about to announce our Octagon Warriors, now that is capitalized, capital O, capital W, Octagon Warriors, I put myself mentally and physically into my own buffer zone. Now, okay. are you sitting back there? Uh -huh. Are you sitting over there at your house wondering, is buffer zone also capitalized? And is it all one word? <laughs> is it trademarked? It, it is buffer zone. I put myself into my own buffer zone mode to give them all the passion and energy I can to take them to a higher level than they are already at while blocking out all around me, allowing me to solely focus on the fighters. When I go to face to face with them, looking into their eyes, the eyes of a tiger. Okay. Mic drop. What you got to say now, Ben folks about the buffer zone. Remember when Sean Strickland, was saying that he knows what he is. He's a guy yeah. who strips to the waist and fights in a cage for people's entertainment on TV. And he thought maybe Bruce Buffer doesn't always have the greatest sense of perspective about what he is and what role he plays in this. It's, it's stuff like this that makes me think Sean might be onto something. Yeah, might be. Might be. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks... You know how to do it. Go to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, it's going down for real. Announced last week, Francis Ngannou will indeed box Tyson Fury in a 10-round heavyweight fight October 28th in Saudi Arabia. The title will not be on the line, but this will be a straightforward, straight-ahead heavyweight boxing match we are led to believe not the exhibition that was rumored before it was announced. These guys will be clear, ready, and you know, willing to, to, to slang and bang with each other while we're out there. So that in and of itself sweetens the pot from, a, from an audience perspective, I think. 
it's been a while now. This happened last week. We've talked about it over on the Patreon page. It's too big a news not for us to circle back and also talk about here on the proper. What just what's your reaction to this, to seeing Big Fran grab the brass ring that was the entire point of his UFC holdout and departure from the company, the new deal with PFL that left him the freedom to do this. Just gonna go ahead and put it right in the face of all the naysayers. What was your reaction? Good for him. You know, yeah. you, you love to see a plan come together, especially for a good guy like Francis Ngannou, who stood up for himself, who did the kind of thing that we are often saying fighters should do, and yet so few really do it and really commit to it. Now, granted, he had a lot of things working on his side. For instance, having a contract that came during the window when the UFC had had to change the contracts to make them a little less restrictive while they're in the course of this antitrust lawsuit before they change them back. He had that advantage. He also had the advantage of being the heavyweight champion, a very easily monetizable thing, the baddest man on the planet. If you are even like great bantamweight, maybe you don't have those same kind of options or don't feel like you have exactly those same kind of options. So he had some stuff going for him, but especially at this point where we have gotten a chance to observe Francis Ngannou in the public eye for long enough. You spent time with him personally, uh, going out there, working on stories about him. We've had a chance to get a sense of who he might actually be, who the, the, the person, the man is. And everything has been a pretty consistent impression that Francis Ngannou is a good dude, a thoughtful person, uh, and the, a guy who is intelligent and capable of understanding what what this is, what kind of world that he is in here. And so you're going to be a prize fighter. You want to get the biggest prize that you can. Also, he has this thing where he wanted, whole point of him, Leaving Cameroon in the first place was that he wanted to become a champion boxer. He has this opportunity here, thinks he sees it in the future coming down the road as his USC contract is ending, to go not only get a chance to fight a top boxer, but to make huge money doing it. And he, there's so many obstacles that have tripped up other fighters in those exact kind of situations that he just did not allow to stop him he stuck with it he saw it all the way through he believed in it and had patience in it and so when you see him actually do it as you said doing the thing fans who want to support the ufc pay structure are always saying if you don't like the money don't sign the contract he didn't yeah he got out of it go do something else he did he did it. For some reason, those guys aren't happy for him. That's the guys weird. who are all the guys on the internet, the reply guys on Twitter who are constantly like, oh, if they don't like the contracts, they don't have to sign them. Nobody's forcing them to do it. They could go do something else. Well, this guy did. And now, according to his manager, he's going to make multiple times what he would make in the UFC as the heavyweight champion to fight Tyson Fury in a boxing match. And for some reason, those same guys, they're not happy. They're not like, oh, this guy took our advice and went and did it. And now he's going to make a lot of money. It's weird. I can't I can't figure out why. I can't figure out why they're not happy for him. Frankly, I don't know how you're not happy for him. Yeah. I don't know how you can't look at this and be like, wow, this guy essentially did everything he said he was going to do. He won the game. I'm happy for him. I feel like if you are not happy for Francis Ngannou, that says more about you than it does about the Francis Ngannou situation. And while you're right, 
most fighters aren't going to get this deal. Most fighters aren't Francis Ngannou. Most fighters don't look like Francis Ngannou getting off the bus. Most fighters aren't the UFC heavyweight champion. Most fighters did not have the opportunity to walk away from the UFC while still holding the title. By the way, not into not to get into an aside here, but Dana White and the UFC can say whatever they want to about the departure of Francis Ngannou and now his ability to design this boxing match. But you know what tells you how they really feel? is that they quietly made this change to the contract during the class action lawsuit filed by former fighters that allowed Francis Ngannou to have his contract sunset and for him to leave the the organization with the belt and go do other stuff. After he did that, they went back in and just as quietly changed the contract back to how it was before so they don't want other guys to have this opportunity. That tells you everything that you need to know about how the UFC really feels about this. And while you are right that almost nobody else in the MMA industry is going to be able to land the Francis Ngannou deal, I hope that every other fighter sees what he did and that every other fighter knows that while they're not going to get that deal, maybe they'll get a deal that is better than the one they have right now. And just like in every other professional sport, It is worth your while to at least test free agency to see what your market value is and then get that money, whatever it is, whether it's from the UFC or anybody else, just go see what you're worth. I do like, and it says something about us all as sicko combat sports fans, that when they made this fight, one of the things they had to come out real quick and make sure everybody understood, especially after Eddie Hearn kind of got out in front and Uh, torpedoed them a little bit by claiming it was going to be an exhibition where nobody really tried to hurt each other. Both guys had to come out and be like, oh, hey, hey, no, we just want to make clear to everybody, we are going to try to maim and hurt each other super badly. (laughs) Don't you guys worry. We will be swinging to take each other's heads off. You can count on that. (laughs) You have our word on it. And we went, shit, you better, you know? (laughs) Well, and I mean, it's specific to the match- matchup also, right? Because it is. Francis Ngannou is not going to go out there and fight like Floyd Mayweather and outpoint Tyson Fury over 10 rounds. He's not going to do that. Uh, Francis Ngannou's cha- only chance to win. And the allure of a Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury boxing match is that maybe Francis Ngannou lands that one bomb. Maybe he, maybe he Alistair overreams this motherfucker. That's the whole reason why you want to watch this. If that's if that's not on the table, if you have an exhibition fight, obviously that takes most of the steam out of it. So I understand how and why they would be, oh, no, no. We are actually going to be punching each other hard in yeah. this fight. I understand why you have to make that clarification. Don't you guys worry. Good chance somebody is badly hurt here. Shit, good. Thank God. <laughs> this, to me, I'm, it's appointment viewing, man. Oh, yeah. I don't expect Francis Ngannou to win. It would be the upset. It would be the literal upset of the century if he did. But you better damn well believe I'm going to watch. There's just no way that I don't do that. And it seems like they have put uh, put themselves in a position where the UFC can't really try to counter-program them, given that I believe the UFC has, what, a pay-per-view the week before, right? Uh so I hope they sell a lot of pay-per-views. I hope they make a lot of money. And 
if you are a, a combat sports fan, I would think that you would want to watch this uh, because I think it has it has potential to be more interesting than Mayweather and McGregor. And yeah. everybody watched that. So might as well watch this one, too. Big meaty men slapping me. Is Who what doesn't we're like about that here? Who doesn't like that? Uh, yeah. And I mean, listen, if you also are among that portion of the population that enjoys watching whatever the combat sports attraction of the weekend is while talking trash with your friends on Twitter, uh, how are you going to sit this one out? Because, bro, everybody going to be talking about this one. The, you're going you're, you're gonna to see some memes Sunday morning and you're not going to have a context for them. You know, people have been making references to weirdo things, some broadcaster or somebody said in the post-fight interview or something. And you're going to be like, damn, I missed it. Come on. You, you know you're going to want to watch this one. We'll talk more about it, I'm sure, as the days, uh, weeks and months move along. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, about five minutes ago, I sent you a link. Mm-hmm. Yes, you in did. your email. Did you watch the video? Yep. Yeah. I've been watching this sport since middle school. <laughs> since the early 90s. UFC 2, I believe, was the first one that I saw. Saw it at a friend's house. His dad had recorded it off pay-per-view on a VHS cassette tape. That's how far back I go watching this sport. And yet here we are in MMA where it is consistently and constantly still to this day serving me up shit I have never seen before. Doesn't seem like that should be possible. And yet it is. I would like to call your attention to an event called Flex Fights Tiki Takedown 25 in Pachogu, New York. Have no idea how to pronounce that. Probably nailed it. Looking at the Nolan King story on MMA Junkie. Thanks to Nolan for bringing us all this uh, breaking news. A boxing match, I believe. It's in a cage, but I believe it's a boxing match between... Oh, wait, no. it's this. It says boxing match in the... Uh, in the, 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 uh, the news I saw, but now it says MMA fighter disqualified. His, this guy's cup, Jason White, is going to fight Tommy Cox. And yet his cup, Ben, folks, his cup, his protective cup, it keeps falling out of his shorts onto the floor of the cage. There's a Twitter video on here that mm-hmm. I suggest you all watch. And when the video begins, we're, we've already had some cup problems. We're already talking about the cup when the video starts. They try to start this thing maybe like three, four times and... The cup falls out onto the floor of the cage three times. Like right away. How does this happen? Are you fucking kidding me? What are you doing inside those shorts? Do you, is it, you, you just buy the cup and you think you just like you place it in on the junk and that's it. What's going on in there? How does the cup fall out? I've never seen this before. You fucking kidding me with this? What is this? What's happening? Two things I want to draw your attention to looking at the tapology page for this event. One is the fucking unbelievable fight poster, which, you know what? It looks like whoever did this put more work into this than the UFC puts into any of their fight posters. At oh this my point. God, that's a work of art. Yeah. It tiki appears what we have down. here is a tiki themed MMA event, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is incredible. That in and of itself is incredible. This looks like a Master P album cover from the 90s. <laughs> it's like... 
if you've ever been to some kind of tiki themed bar, somebody took that and was like, what if this was a fight event though? And ran with it. And I, for one, am just fucking sad I missed it. I, I really would have liked to have been in there in person for this one. Also, scroll down on Wikipedia or on Tapology to get to the actual fight in question, and the official result is listed as disqualification, comma, no cup support. <laughs> 14 seconds uh, into round one. I am sad to have to report that this was Jason White's third consecutive professional loss. He is 0-3, and he his previous two fights both ended in first-round stoppages of under two minutes. This one, you only get 14 seconds into the thing before he is disqualified for no-cup support. No-cup support. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm kidding me. How does this happen? I, don't, I have so many questions about how this happens. I don't even know. I have so many questions. Well, Chad, this week... My, are you fucking kidding me? Get ready to get mad at the Lord Mayor of Wollongong, Australia. What? The Lord Mayor? Did you just say English words? What, what the did you Lord just say? The Lord Mayor of Wollongong. The Lord Mayor of Wollongong. And here this, I thought we had a tongue twister going with Titanium Turtle earlier in the show. We've topped it already gentleman by the name of Gordon Bradbury says he will not give Alex Volkanovsky the key to the city. And you want to know why, Chad? Because he says, quote, I have a responsibility as the Lord Mayor of the city and as a responsible human being not to endorse those things which are violent. He goes on to say, you can decorate it as much as you like, but UFC is a violent activity. It is against everything we stand for in our community in terms of violence and promoting violence. Now, Chad, I could almost see it if the fighter from your home city is like Mike Perry or something. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? We, For several reasons, maybe we don't want to give him the key to the city and glorify this guy. But it's Alexander fucking Volkanovsky. He's just the yeah. sweetest dude there is. Just a nice guy, good guy, who also is really, really good at fighting. Like, they, this article I'm reading from the Daily Mail here lists other people who are other athletes who have received keys to the city. Swimmer Emma McKeon, motorcycle champion Wayne Gardner, Olympic marathon runner Karen McCann. I don't know anything about any of those people. And I am still prepared to say Alex Volkanovsky is better at the thing he does <laughs> than any of those people are at the things they do. Wollongong should be proud to claim Alexander Volkanovsky as one of their own. Something tells me, Chad, if he played footy, if he played one of the extremely violent uh, sports that Australians are pretty into uh, along the lines of, you know, the way we are pretty into American football, they wouldn't have a big problem giving him the key to the city. Maybe even if you were a champion boxer, we wouldn't have such a problem. But because he is an MMA champion, the Lord Mayor going to get all uppity about it, all highfalutin, talking about his responsibility not only as the mayor, but as a, a decent human being not to promote violent things. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? Fucking kidding me? You've made a powerful enemy here today. Yep. Lord Mayor of Kowalong. Wollongong. 
Wollongong. Sounds like uh, Volcomania not running wild in Wollongong. You know what? If you live in Wollongong and you are listening to the sound of my voice, get at us. We'll send you some free Volcomania t-shirts if you go down there to the city hall or whatever the equivalent is. Sporting those bad boys and let the Lord Mayor know you wrong for this one, brother. You wrong. I'm gonna. I'll tell you right now. After we're done, I'm gonna see if I can find the address and I'm gonna send the Lord Mayor of Volcomania t-shirt. You know, what you give Alexander Volkanovsky the key to the city, he's probably gonna use it, let himself in, clean up a little bit, <laughs> yeah. leave it in better Sweet condition pop. than he found it. Yeah. Jeez. Kind of guy to be like, oh, I couldn't help but notice that uh, your sprinkler system was why wrong it was hitting the fence uh, I went ahead and fixed it for you it, it should work much better anywho thanks for having me gonna but take no. off but no fucking, fucking kidding me alright that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two Chad, I know you had this one circled on the calendar, so I don't have to tell you, but this weekend marks the return of one Thomas Paul Aspinall. He has not fought since the unfortunate knee injury almost exactly a year ago, the 23rd of July, 2022, where I remember it very well because it was from a UFC fight night event in London, England, one of those that aired in the afternoon here. I was watching it with my children. My youngest daughter got very invested in it as they were playing the, the pre-fight hype reels throughout the afternoon. And she she somehow they sold her. She was really excited, really looking forward to the main event. By the time it rolled around 15 seconds in, Big Tom goes to throw that leg kick. Knee just goes out on him. He's down. It's over. My daughter was so pissed off. Like, it's, it's, that's it. It's over. No one even is bleeding. And I was just like, hey, it'd be like that sometimes. Were you like, welcome to the world of MMA fandom? Were you welcome like, this to is the, the highs wouldn't be so high without the lows. <laughs> Trust me, I've been there. A year goes by. Now he's coming back. He's going to fight. The big homie Marcin Tybura over there at another UFC fight night event in London. Another Saturday afternoon event back here. A, what's your hype level for Tom Aspinall just as a UFC heavyweight prospect and potential contender at this point? What do you expect and hope to see out of him here on Saturday? I mean, my hype level as a prospect is pretty high. I have to be honest. The guy's 30 years old, which for starters puts him ahead of the game in front of a lot of other heavyweight prospects. He had eight wins in a row before he came in and suffered the TKO uh, injury loss to Curtis Blades, which is, you know, it's a, it's a bit janky to suffer a loss that way. He had three straight performance of the night bonuses in his last three wins, all of them stoppages. Ben, every fight he's had in the UFC has been a first or second round stoppage. Most of them TKOs, a couple of submissions mixed in there. Hard not to like what you see all the way around from Tom Aspinall and nobody likes to see a guy get injured like that but you know you got a guy who's got all the size 6'5 250 he's athletic he finishes fights 
nothing, nothing not to like about Tom Aspinall. So I'm looking forward to having him back. I'm looking forward to see how he recovers from the knee injury. And I think that Marcin Tybura, frankly, is probably a decent test for Tom Aspinall. They're not giving him a gimme. Uh, this is a guy also who's nine and one in his last 10 fights. So, you know, Marcin Tybura can still get it done. So this is going to be an interesting fight. It's going to be an interesting return for Tom Aspinall. And uh, I honestly feel a, a little bit weird about the, the the circumstances of the return. And, you know, it's hard to keep your ear to the ground these days with everything that the UFC is doing. But I feel like it just, it underscores the bizarre nature of the schedule right now, the live event schedule, when you can go from this UFC on ESPN event last week in Las Vegas at the Apex, where it's basically Holly Holm and a bunch of other people. We'll talk about it coming up in round three. And then you go, you're going to London the next week and you have like a pretty good card. You have Tom Aspinall, you got Meatball Molly, you got Andre Feely, you got Paul Craig, you know, uh, you got, you got people on here that are recognizable and no names. And it's just sort of like, we're going to stick it in as just, it's just a fight night event along with all the other fight night events. And so I would like to think that Tom Aspinall's return would have been a slightly bigger deal, yeah. but, uh, it's just a, you know, it's the quirk of how we're doing things these days. Yeah, I mean, I think by the time you get around to watching it, it will feel like a bigger deal, especially because when you go from Apex, uh, you know, in Enterprise Nevada type events where you got 40 people in the building to then the O2 Arena where you got a bunch of screaming British fans who are just stoked that the UFC is back. And okay, yeah, we get to cheer for Meatball Molly and Tom Aspinall uh, and and a bunch of other local products. They're going to they're going to hype you up just by what their energy will translate. And I think that that's going to help make it a lot of fun to watch. But you're right that like Tom Aspinall on paper seems like a guy, a heavyweight worth getting excited about a 30 year old heavyweight who is six foot five and can move. Like that's a guy who seems like he should, he has the ability to develop into something good. And uh, you, you're right about it being an interesting matchup, though. I was honestly pretty surprised to look at the betting odds for this one because Tom Aspinall in here as a minus 450 favorite. Some books have him as high as 5-1 to one, and yeah, Marcin Tybura going off at plus 350, plus 360. Because you're right, yeah, like Marcin Tybura. Plus five or minus 500 on DraftKings and plus 370 for Tybura. Tybura doesn't suck. You no. know, I can understand how you look at Tom Aspinall and you go, okay, this A feels like the kind of fight the UFC would like him to win. We book him in their main event in there in, in London. The same way where we book, we come right off a of book and meatball Molly against Aaron Blanchfield at the Madison Square Garden one where she gets just absolutely run through. And then we turn around and we go, okay, but when we go back to London, we're going to help you out a little bit on the matchmaking side of things. And you now she's also a big favorite at this point. And it feels like the UFC would probably like prefer to be in the Aspinall business than the Tybura business come Sunday morning here. Yeah. Uh, but especially when you see Tom Aspinall coming off a year long layoff, 
where you've dealt with that knee injury. Even fighters who go on to be totally fine afterwards can sometimes struggle a little bit in that first fight back, both because you know, you, if you've been off, maybe your timing isn't exactly where it was. Sometimes you might have had to rush it more than you wanted to to get back in time. Uh, sometimes you just might not trust that knee all the way yet or, you know, uh, just the, the conditioning aspect of it could be off. A bunch of different things that could affect your performance. And when you're a guy like Tom Aspinall who in his entire pro career has never been past the second round, you go to a, a guy like Marcin Tybura for especially a heavyweight, there's a guy who has seen the scorecards a fair amount. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if I'm in Marcin Tybura's camp and I got to whisper something in his ear, first of all, I'm telling him, don't worry about all those big muscles, Marcin. That's just that's that's just cosmetics, man. That ain't nothing. Sure, he looks better than you do getting off the bus. Sure, you're probably not going to win it if it was a pose down, but it's not. What we're going to do is we're going to get through these first two rounds and we're going to push this guy and we're going to wear him down. He's not ready to go five hard rounds with you. We're you know you've gone five rounds before. He never even come close, and uh, we're going to wear this guy down. We're going to suck the, the air out of the room. We're going to make this one no fun for anybody. And we're going to go home with our win bonus. That's what I'm saying. Deep water. Deep water. That's what you're telling them. You Deep do water. you. That's the theme of camp. We're going to grind it out, Marcin. It's going to be ugly. They're going to boo you. They're going to hate you. I want them to hate you, Marcin. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a good point and it's a good strategy, honestly. Only one of Tom Aspinall's UFC fights has even gone past the four-minute mark, and that would be his second-round submission of Andrei Arlovsky back in February of 2021. That one only meant only went a minute and nine seconds into the second round. So it's, he's a guy who's been getting his work done quickly. His last fight, as we said, lasted all of 15 seconds before the knee injury. He has been out since then almost a full year. And so, yeah, especially for a heavyweight whose who's calling card is athleticism and who hasn't been in the cage for that long, I would think... You want to make this, you want to make this dirty. If you're my sir, my scene, Tarbura, Tybura, uh, clinch fight up against the cage. See if you can take him down, push the pace, make him tired, uh, kind of a thing. That's that's probably your path to victory. And it's an interesting heavyweight scrap, man. I uh, can't wait to watch it. Nobody will argue with some Saturday afternoon MMA here in the states. You know what I didn't even mention? My favorite pirate, Brian Barbarina is on this card way down on the undercard. Uh, not crazy about the fight, about the fact that he's fighting a guy where if you just, if you, if you let your eyes unfocus a little bit, it looks like his last name might be murder. <laughs> Mahmoud Muradov, just like you squint at it. You're like, is that, is that just say murder? Mahmoud murder? Well, Brian Barbarina going off as a slight underdog there. So not crazy about that, but Mr. Murder has lost two fights in a row, so maybe we can keep that going. If we're looking at this fight card and looking for for guys who we're glad to see anywhere they show up, I got to mention the big homie Paul Craig. Yeah. Paul, you know what you do when you see Paul Craig on a card? You go look at the submission line immediately. Mm -hmm. Just go look at it. Do you got $20 you never want to see again? Flies It it flies out of my pocket into the screen of my computer. After I see the, the, the Paul Craig submission line. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three.
Well, Ben, for about five minutes or so, we had a Holly Holm fight going in the main event of this UFC fight night on Saturday night at the Apex. Uh, Maria Bueno Silva was coming forward, walking her down, landing heavy shots. But most of this thing was what we have come to expect from Holly Holm during this stage of her career. Uh, She was landing shots on the feet. She was initiating the clinch. She was getting very specific instructions on what to do from the Jackson Winklejohn corner. And she was doing it. She was doing the Holly Holm thing. We got almost six minutes into this fight and it looked like we were going to do Holly Holm for five rounds. Mm -hmm. And we were going to get the Holly Holm unanimous decision that some of us expected uh, last week during our $20. We never want to see again betting segment. But Mario Bueno Silva had other plans. Ben, Holly Holm gets her head out of position for just a moment. And Silva locks up this ninja choke, taps her out on the feet, standing choke. Holly Holm submitted for just the second time in her career. And the first time since Misha Tate threw up that Hail Mary rear naked choke back in March of 2016. That is a long damn time for Holly Holm to go without getting submitted. But here you go. She loses the fight. Maria Bueno Silva wins. And at this point, you got to think she's probably uh, she's probably in that conversation to fight for the vacant title at 135. Yeah, that's a big win for her. Uh, and, you know, when we talked about this fight beforehand, I was saying you got to think that her best chance to win it is submission. But how often does Holly Holm get submitted? You know, you mentioned that one though against Misha Tate, which... Yeah, it's like, okay, on paper you look at it, she got the submission win, but it's like she got the submission win in a fight that she was losing for the pretty much the entire thing and then manages to get on Holly Holmes back and choke her. It's not like that means Holly Holm is weak against submissions. You know, her wrestling game especially has come a, a long, long way since she first transitioned into MMA. And so it was really hard to imagine, especially if you're trying to picture how do you go from us standing on our feet across the cage from one another when they say fight to getting in a position where you can submit Holly Holm. And I guess one of the ways is defending a takedown uh, sort of out of the clinch up against the fence. Um, I I did not think she had it in her, but that's a big, big win, a big pelt to add to the wall at this point in her career. So here's what you're looking at for the rankings at women's bantamweight. The title, of course, is vacant after the recent retirement of Amanda Nunes. Number one contender, the former champ, Juliana Pena. Then you got Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, Ketlin Vieira, and Irene Aldana. Of course, those rankings were from before this loss. You had Maria Bueno Silva all the way down at number 10, but I would expect her to fly up these rankings after the victory over Holly Holm. She will probably get a little bit of a bump little bit of a maybe we want you to fight for the title kind of bump in these UFC rankings. But is that what you do here? If you're the matchmaker, do you go Juliana Pena versus Maria Bueno Silva? Or do you look at someone who is probably just slightly better known in the eyes of fans in a Raquel Pennington or a Ketlin Vieira or somebody like that? I guess it depends how much you care about getting excitement and eyeballs on this fight. If what you're trying to do is just move on, with the division uh, and let's start from zero and we'll rebuild from there in terms of who the champion is and how the belt's going to move around. Uh, then maybe you don't care. Maybe you just sort of go, okay, here's something people saw recently. A submission win over Holly Holm. That's a big deal. Go ahead, throw her in there. Um, I don't know because 
I haven't got the impression that, especially when it comes to divisions like women's bantamweight, the UFC is going, no, we got to make stars. We got it's stars only matchups when it comes to title fights. It doesn't seem like they're just that worried about it, right? It seems yeah. like it's, this would be an opportunity to put a second title fight on some other card. That's probably the way that we're going to end up crowning a new champion in this division. So I I don't know what the, the calculus will be like when we're doing war room shit, you know. Mario Bueno Silva had gone 2-2-1 two, two and one to begin her UFC career as a flyweight and then moved back up to bantamweight in April of last year and since is undefeated. She's won four in a row, in, including now three straight submissions, an arm bar on Stephanie Egger in August of 2022, a knee bar on Lena Landsberg in February of 2023, and now a ninja choke on Holly Holm on Saturday night. So she's been putting together an impressive resume. We will see what happens with that. Holly Holm, of course, uh, suffers the loss here. She is 41 years old at this point. Seems perennially on the verge of, of another title fight. She is uh, three and three in her last six in the UFC. So perhaps not done, uh, but getting getting into the twilight of it, you might think, especially since Holly Holm spent some time as a boxer before even coming to MMA. So there is that. I uh, wanted to squeeze in some flat nose Jackie. Yeah. Here at the end of the show, before we get out of here, Jack Della Maddalena uh, had accepted very late replacement Basil Hafez here. He came in on about five days notice. Uh, Maddalena was supposed to fight Sean Brady at UFC 290. Brady withdrew with an injury just before that event. Then he was scheduled to take on Josiah Harrell. Uh, but the day before UFC 290, Harrell got pulled out of the fight. He was diagnosed diagnosed with Moya Moya disease in his pre-fight. What? Mo- Moya Moya disease. It's a disease in which certain arteries of the brain are constricted. Blood flow is blocked by constriction and blood clots. So that was one that came up on the pre-fight brain scan for him. He that, was pulled uh, out. That seems serious enough that we should give it a name that sounds less silly. Moya Moya disease. You think we should call it Iron Turtle disease? Something like that? But like, you know, just like potential sudden brain death disease, you know, like let's communicate <laughs> to people what they're dealing with. Because if the doctor comes in and is like, well, we think you got Moya Moya disease. And I'm like, that's zany. What is it? And they're like, well, the arteries in your brain are fucked up. You, it, it's it's quite, quite serious, actually. I'd be like, I see that didn't prepare me for this. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, Jack Della Maddalena comes into this fight with, uh, Basil Hafez. This guy, you saw, here's the thing about MMA. We do these late replacements all the time. Happens constantly in the sport. It's been very normalized over the course of this sports lifespan in America. And sometimes when you do this, you can catch a hot one because you don't know that much about who you're fighting. You've been preparing for two other guys. You roll in here against Basil Hafez, and he's ready to go. He's ready to do the damn thing. He is strong. He's a good grappler. He has a good game plan, and he pushed Jack Della Maddalena about to the brink here. Uh, Flat-nosed Jackie wins by split decision uh, and and keeps his UFC streak alive. He's 15-2 and two overall. He's got five straight now in the UFC since coming from the Contender Series in January of 2022. This is the first one to get out of the first round and the first one that he doesn't end up stopping. 
Uh, did you learn stuff that you liked or didn't like about Jack Della Maddalena in this unexpectedly tough fight with uh, Basil Hafez? Well, you definitely learned some stuff. I, I'm always hesitant to make too many sweeping judgments in a situation like this because it was just such a weird situation to begin with. Uh, you really turn quickly around the very next weekend, whole new opponent, all this other stuff. And you also put a guy in a situation where there's a lot of ways for it to be seen as a letdown for him or a disappointment for him. And really very few ways for it to go the way you think it does. Cause it's, he comes in as a huge favorite. He's yeah. finished all his other UFC fights in the first round. Some of us were even betting on him to finish this one in the first round. Um, and then if you go to a decision that's at all close, when people showed up expecting to see you just dominate some guy without a Wikipedia page and that doesn't happen, you go to a decision and it's close, it's natural for a lot of those people to be like, you deserve to lose. You know, like, especially if it's the kind of fight where you could make an argument either way, people are going to be like, you got away with one there. And so it's a tough spot to to be in in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, the other part of it is sometimes if you show up there and maybe if you were expecting an easier night of work, maybe if you were thinking that this one was going to be a little simpler and you'd be in and out of there for too long and you find yourself in a dogfight, uh, good to know that you have that in you that, that you can find a way to pull that one out. Uh, Basil Hafez is 8-4 and four, and now... Three of his losses have come via split decision. <laughs> so uh, he has a tendency to wind up on the wrong end of things. I don't want to get off on a on a side tangent here, but like I still continue to be somewhat mystified about the scoring criteria as written compared to the scoring criteria as applied mm. and then insanely frustrated by both of those things compared to how the UFC broadcast team commentates a fight because you simply can't convince Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz that these takedowns late in the fight where you're not doing any damage aren't scoring points. You can't convince them of that. They are just so insistent on the fact that you are salting away rounds in the eyes of the judges with your late takedowns. And whether you like it or not, that's not how it's supposed to work right now, honestly. And I, I am on the record saying I'm not really a huge fan of these uh, latest changes to the scoring criteria. But if you take them at their word and it's all about damage, I mean, I honestly thought Jack Della Maddalena won all three of these rounds and the last one was a 10-8. Now, clearly it was a very close fight. And Basil Hafez gave him everything he wanted and uh, it showed out much better than we thought he was going to. And I hope he gets a chance to stick around in the UFC. But if you're talking damage, Jack Della Maddalena won this fight. If you're talking takedowns and control and looking surprisingly good on the ground, then you can give it to Basil Hafez. But otherwise, I just, I don't know, man. I Honestly, I don't know what we're doing. I've been watching this sport for 30 years and I'm confused as fuck about what we're doing. Don't you think some of it is that if you are a commentator who especially even was a fighter during a different era of MMA, you got used to us thinking about it a certain way 
And especially yeah. we used to all just take it for granted that like, hey, if it's at all a close round and you get a takedown in the final 60 or 30 seconds, that's your round. We That was a accepted part of the conventional wisdom for a long time. Maybe it's hard to retrain your brain to understand yes. that we don't, we're not doing it that way anymore. At least we're not supposed yeah. to be doing it that way. And honestly, I kind of prefer the other way, but like that's, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing this other thing. So it's just, you would prefer the other way. It's confusing. All right. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Wait, wait. We're, you, you don't want to just say something? I don't know. Do you have anything to just say? I mean, you, you got to do some just saying stuff, right? We got to finish up with just saying stuff. You got something you just want to say? You got something burning a hole in your pocket? What is it? Let me get out of the way. Let me clear the Wait. lane for you. Ben, what, what is it? What do you I got, got on your ju- mind? I got to just say and stuff. You also have one. Do I need to remind you of what yours is? I know. I screwed up. And so now I'm trying to kind of paper over it by making <laughs> it out like, you. you've, like you've got something you. so important to say that you won't let me sign off. What is it? Go get, let me go for it. Well, Don't <laughs> mind me. Yours is actually a lot better than mine. And I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. That's why I didn't want to... Take a chance that we might miss it. Um, but since you asked, Chad, my just saying stuff this week, uh, did you see where the hell the, the fellow Michael Venom Page announced that he is a free agent? Oh, wow. I think he was on the Fortnite saying he's a free agent, saying that uh, a move to the UFC, among other places, could be a possibility. Quote, I want to see where my value is at. I want to see my worth. It doesn't mean the journey has stopped here. It just means I'm having another look. So, Chad, I'm just saying there are all kinds of interesting offers that could be made to Michael Venom Page. And depending on who the offer comes from and what they have in mind for him, this could be a real career fork in the road for 36-year-old Michael Venom Page. Because an offer that comes in from BKFC... Might look a lot different than an offer that comes in from the UFC. Might look a lot different from the offer that comes in from the PFL. I'm just saying, choose your next move here carefully. Because don't act like you couldn't see the UFC sort of even making him a low ball offer. And next thing you know, he's like, all right, happy to be here. Excited for my UFC tenure. Who you got in mind for my first fight? And they're like... A fella out of Dagestan with four Magomeds in his name. Good luck. If you let your eyes relax, it looks like his last name is murder. I'm just saying, (laughs) when they call you with that offer, be like, how many Magomeds are in the name of the guy you want me to fight? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying, look, man, if we're going to have this influencer boxing, if we've all decided that it's going to be a thing, if the industry is going to prop this up as a thing, if we're going to have matches with only fans models, how are we going to clutch our pearls when they flash a little titty after it's over? Huh? Are we surprised? Are we scandalized? We booked about with a person who was only famous for being on OnlyFans. How are we going to just, oh, I'm so shocked that she flashed some titty in the cage after it's over. That's, you know what that is? That's marketing. She's marketing herself right now with her OnlyFans. This was at Kingpin Boxing, 
where the kingpin is spelled K-I-N-G-P-Y-N. And Daniela Helmsley, first of all, she goes out there and gets a win over someone who is referred to as Ms. Danielka. Okay. So let's not pretend like this is fucking Hagler Hearns out here, (laughs) right? It's on to zone. And then after it's over, in her excitement to celebrate the victory, Daniela Helmsley pulls the sports bra up. And shows the goods that you can see more of over on her OnlyFans. How let's, how are we going to act scandalized about this? If this is what we're doing, let's just fucking do it, man. Don't don't act like it's a one thing when it's another. If we're going to fucking make a deal with the devil and have influencer boxing, what's the yeah, you're going to see a little titty. That's all it's going to be. Just don't you, don't be ashamed. It's a human body, Ben. It's just you, a human body. You got to stop saying, see a little titty or show a little, because t- first of all, when you say like, oh, she flashed a little titty, I think like, okay, like she pulled a sports bra aside. We saw like a, like a portion of her nipple or something. It's not quite what happened. She pulled it all the way up, got them both out and was there for me. Like, it wasn't quick. Made sure everybody got a good view. So it wasn't like flashed a little titty. It was pulled the tits out entirely. Also did it while her opponent was trying to shake her hand after the fight. So that's awkward. That's an awkward moment. You reach out to shake somebody's hand and they are in the process of exposing themselves. Um, But don't you think when some people go into pearl clutching mode about that, isn't that an example of everybody getting to do their stuff? Everybody has a role to play. The OnlyFans model is going to remind you to sign up and subscribe, smash that like button and subscribe button. Uh, after her win, but somebody's got to be the 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 uptight fuddy duddy to be like you're, you're bringing a bad name to boxing. This is harming the sport. Like somebody has to do that, and that's that's a role for somebody to play. If we'd be, we'd, the whole thing would probably feel incomplete if nobody was like, you shouldn't be flashing your tits at the boxing thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I I agree we should tell that person to shut up, but somebody has yeah. to say it. Well, I am just saying, shut up. I just said it. Did you just see the saying. video where you can see the reaction of the ring announcer? <laughs> you should watch it. It's pretty no. funny. He just like co- literally covers his head and turns away like he's just seen a car crash <laughs> or something like that. I can't bear to look. Anyway, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If we're going to do it, let's just do it. Let's stop pretending like it's something that it's not. All right. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Ben folks has said all he has to say. So we're free to get out of here now. Stop living under the tyranny of all of his opinions. Glad that you are reacquainted with the format of the show we've been doing for like 11 years. <laughs> you know, just sometimes make a mistake. All right. We'll see you guys over on the Patreon page all week. Check us out over there. Patreon.com slash co-main event. Or we'll talk to you again next week on the proper. Thanks everybody for listening. As for right now, we are done. We're through. We are out. You know what? It's just like you Puritan that you are to take issue with flash a little titty. I feel like that's a funny expression. Flash a little titty. It's funny, but I don't feel like it's accurate in this case. You think I should have said show some titty? You think I should have said make a spectacle of, of the titty. I don't get it. I don't know if what you want me to say. If your wife came home and was and you were like, hey, how did things go at the bar? And she was like, oh, well, things got a little out of hand and when my friend splashed a little titty. This is not what you picture. This is not it. First of all, I'd be like, which friend?